So some of you guys have not gotten your beer yet. We got to go open this up to, to make sure all every, everybody gets one because uh, I can't be taking this beer home with me. So after the service or even during the service, you want another beer, come up and get one. Uh, but if not, for sure, afterwards. Uh, again, we want to just take an opportunity to say we love you guys. Uh, we appreciate your dedication to your families that we see on a weekly basis, uh, that you're serving at the church. So you're setting a great example that you're loving on your spouse, that you're loving your kids. We see that. Uh, we see that. And for those families, uh, those single moms that we have, we want to acknowledge you today too, because you're playing the role of both. And we see you and we love you. And hopefully you're feeling that love throughout uh, the whole year, not just on one day. Uh, but we know uh, what you guys are going through too. And we love you. And, and we're proud of you. Uh, and we want to celebrate, you know, you also. But let's just do that through the year. But thank you, dads. Love you guys. Dads are a beer. Uh, and we're just so glad to be here. We're in a study through First and Second Samuel. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know we're plowing through big chunks. Like we're trying to take a whole chapter a week. And so we've had some of these crazy chapters with 55 verses or, you know, whatever. I mean, these, there's some big chapters uh, and, and there's some smaller chapters. But we're, we're kind of going through the big stories and we're looking for the lessons that we can learn from leaders both positive lessons and lessons based on things that they do negative. And and so every week we're looking at leaders and we're learning from their mistakes, how we can do things differently. And we're also learning from the things that they do positively. And today we're going to continue on in that series. And we find ourselves in first Samuel 17. Okay. First Samuel 17. Now I'm going to tell you guys a quick story here. Uh, I, I grew up in the Tacoma area. Uh, so if you're military, you know, probably it's just right up the road here from here, but we kind of lived in the Lakewood area. Uh, more specifically, I was in Oak Brook. Uh, my mom and dad were both teachers. My dad taught at Mount Tahoma High School for about 29 years. My mom taught at a couple different elementary schools, but then ended up at Tacoma Baptist High School and, uh, or I mean at the elementary school of it. So I ended up going kindergarten through 12 at Tacoma Baptist and my senior year, my senior year, we started football there. Okay, we started football and so everybody left soccer and left the other sports that they weren't playing uh, to play in the fall because we were going to be awesome. Because we knew our class of 28 or whatever we had there had some pretty powerful men in it, uh, young men we thought we were, and, and the other classes and we were going to play football that fall. And uh, you, you'll see where I'm going here in a second. Um, we, we decided we were going to play football so we went through the summer and we practiced hard. And, and uh, I was the starting right guard, okay? And, and I weigh probably right now about 60 pounds more than I did in high school, okay? And I wasn't any taller then. So you can tell what they had to choose from for their linemen wasn't all that great. But we were on fire. We knew we were going to be something special. We were going to be this story, first-year football team. We were going to do mighty and powerful things, right? Because, well, I mean, we were pretty cool. And so... So one of our first games of the year brought us to the town of Kittitas. I am going to ask, raise your hand if you know where Kittitas is. Not many of you, but a few, okay? Uh, my son's going to Central Washington, which is over in Ellensburg. Well, Kittitas is next door to that. I saw Vicki raise her hand, because I know she's driven by there quite a few times. I saw Vince. So a few of you knew, but not many. But we are going to go to Kittitas, this little, in our minds... 
farming town with a bunch of hick boys. We're going to go over there, and we're the city boys, and we are going to kill these guys, right? I mean, we were pumped. The bus ride, our old rickety bus, you know, an old Christian school, barely making it up over the mountain pass, but we were jazzed, right? And, And so we pull into town, and we thought we owned this place. Now, if you've lived through or you've seen TV shows where these small towns all come out for football on Friday, this was it. So big banners on the storefronts, you know, and, and as we drove down the little one main street, you know, all kinds of support for their high school football team. But that did not shake our confidence because our perspective was we were from the city and we were going to take care of business there. Let me just fast forward because it's painful to recall all the details. But at halftime, we were sitting in the locker room and we were down 49 to nothing. Okay, 49 to nothing. My best friend, I will not say his name, but was sitting in the shower, communal showers, right? On the other side of the wall, weeping. I'm not joking. The guy was weeping. We felt defeated. These boys were big. I don't know if you've seen farm boys before, but they were all like seven feet tall and full of muscles. And that was their freshmen, right? And, and I mean, these kids were literally picking us. We were telling the coach, they would literally pick me up as a guard and throw me to the side. And and again, I mean, I was everything. I was ready for this game. But these giants that they forced us to play, this 1A high school, Kittitas, was full of giants, and they were throwing me around. And it was just crazy. We were so defeated. Second half, we came out. We were licking our wounds. In the second half, they beat us 14 to 7, only to come to find out that they actually just played their freshmen the entire second half. So we still lost just their freshmen in Kittitas. And so, again, perspective was everything. We thought we were everything, and we learned quickly that we had an improper view of these young men. And I'm telling you, we went into every game the rest of the year with a little bit different perspective. When we drove to Adna and we drove out to all these other Raymond and all these little towns, we were, we gave some respect. Probably respect that we should have been given to Kittitas. Um, and <laughs> I'm telling you, we learned a lot from that. And so today as we dive into 1 Samuel 17, we're going to be looking at David and Goliath. And, and we're going to talk about no matter how big your problem is, no matter how big the giant that's coming against you in your life is, God is bigger. Okay? Now that's easy to say, right? But when you're in the middle of the battle, whatever that might be, it's a lot harder to, to, to believe that. Right? And a lot of this is going to boil down to when you're not in the midst of the battle, when the problem hasn't arrived, when you're not in pain from what just happened, what is your view on God? If you ask yourself today, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but if you ask yourself today, do you have a big view of God? Or have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you kind of understand Christianity, but really you have a small view of God? And so when the world throws things at us, how do you respond? 
Do you trust God to come through like he's promised? And we'll talk a little bit more that, about that as we get later into this. But Or or do you kind of get beat up by the world and wonder why God didn't intervene? And, and, you know, I mean, God must be too busy for me or whatever. But again, I want to challenge you today as we're looking at and thinking about problems and giants to remember that God is bigger and challenge yourself today to have a big view of God. Now, today is one of those chapters that has 54 verses in it. And my daughter, uh, last time when we had the 50 plus verses, I, I coaxed her into coming up on stage and, 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 and she read it for me, which I really appreciated. Um, but she told me I couldn't do this every time. Uh, and so I had to, I had to do this for myself today. So we're going to read some pretty big chunks of this narrative. And then we're going to talk about, uh, uh, some lessons that we can learn from the leader. So starting in chapter 17, At verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Succah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Succah and Ezekah in Ephesdemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out uh, of the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now I'm going to talk about this later, but I'm going to throw it in really quick. This is nine, nine. Okay. He was nine, nine. All right. Just so that you guys know, he was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. But again, what does that mean? 125 pounds. Okay? 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. So what a description of Goliath. Right? We all remember the story. The flannel graphs, if you're as old as I am, you know, they made Goliath look pretty big and pretty strong. And he was. But let's keep reading. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, mm, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That's not the answer we want to hear from the leader of Israel. Right? Israel is in the midst of a seemingly impossible situation here. 
The Philistines had been the bane of their existence. Now they have this guy, Goliath, and Goliath was coming out and saying, hey, send me one man. If he beats me, you know, we'll tuck tails and leave. We'll serve you. But if I beat him, you guys are going to serve us. This is like a lose-lose. The battle would be bloody. The battle would more likely than not, if the Lord didn't intervene, be a loss. And Goliath is given a challenge. Hey, if one of you can beat me, we don't all have to battle. But again, who's going to go up against the guy that's 9-9, right? 9-9. David's 6-7. And he, I mean, I'm looking up at him like this. I wouldn't want to go after somebody that's another couple of feet taller than that and then big and strong on top of it. Again, the perspective here of the Israelites, when they looked at this situation, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They had a large view of Goliath. Okay? Through their earthly eyes, they saw Goliath and they were afraid. They were scared of this guy. Right? Now, don't get me wrong. 9'9 nine, nine and muscular, that's scary. Okay? He was a big man and he had a big reputation. We see in his speech this defiance of not only the people of Israel, but also of their God. And, and he's willing, he's wanting just to take on one guy. Send me your best. We don't have to have all this bloodshed. I'll beat him. You guys serve us, right? I mean, he was so confident he was going to win. He was arrogant and, and probably rightfully so. This guy probably hadn't lost too many tussles with his brothers, right? Or his friends. You know, if he had been on the football team, he wouldn't have been getting thrown around like I was, right? I mean, this guy was big and strong. And, and, but then we look at Saul who was the big, tall, strong man in Israel, remember? When they chose Saul, he stood ahead taller than everybody else. And he was muscular, right? This was a pretty big guy. Yeah, he was the king, but still, this guy's coming out and and taunting you guys. He's saying bad things about uh, your God. And, and, And Saul's response, the people's response, was being, uh, was to be afraid. Zero confidence. Their view of Goliath only confirmed what Goliath thought of himself, right? He knew he was something big, and, and the response that Israel had proved that. Their view of God revealed their hearts, and that's the challenge today, guys. What does your heart really view God as? And here we see Israel. They didn't trust in God, not as a people. They didn't say, these guys are coming out and saying bad things, not only about us, but about our God. Let's go get them. They didn't pray and ask what they should do. Instead, they were afraid and greatly dismayed. They had a small view of God and didn't believe that God was bigger than their problem was bigger than this giant. Let's continue on in the story and see what, where it goes next. Now, David, verse 12, was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. So Jesse was an old man. We know from last week, uh, when Samuel went there, Jesse was old. He had eight sons. He went through seven of them, the big strong ones. And, and, and Samuel's like, none of these are the ones that God wants me to anoint king. Are you sure you don't have any other boys? Oh yeah, I do. I, I got one more. He's out in the field. They bring in David. He's ruddy. Remember that? 
ruddy. He's got the red hair, tan complexion, right? He was beautiful, but he was the little guy. He was the youngest boy. And Samuel said, yeah, this is the one, right? So this is Jesse. Uh, the three oldest of his sons uh, had followed Saul into battle. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and then uh, next to him was Abinadab, and then the third son, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses. I got excited when I read that because I'm a cheese guy. So I was like, I don't know what these 10 cheeses are, but I want to know more about this. Right? So take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring me some token from them. So dad wants to know what's going on there. And he sends David. Now Saul and they, the, the brothers, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in the charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of all the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Isn't that what we were just told? But anyways, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. In other words, they repeated everything that had just been told them, right? So your family will be free. You get a daughter from the king. I mean, a lot of good things if you be this way. So shall it be done to the man who kills him, they say. Moving on, though. Now, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. Despite this problem, this large problem in their lives, uh, God had a man that he could count on. Okay? And it was David. The only problem was David was off with the sheep. Okay? He wasn't anywhere near 
the problem. He wasn't anywhere near the giant. He wasn't anywhere near what is going on there. But that doesn't stop God. So what does God do? God says to Jesse, Jesse, have your son take some provisions to their brothers. That gets David to the battlefield, right? So David, being a man with a proper view of God, a big view of God, is now at the front of the battle lines with his brothers, with all the soldiers from Israel. This is a beautiful thing. God's got his man in place. Now, the difference between the soldiers of Israel, including Saul and David, they couldn't be more different, right? When the men heard, when the men saw Goliath, they were afraid and they ran, right? And they hid behind rocks and they could hear what he was saying. But it was the same thing every day, twice a day for 40 days, it says. So this is like the 80th time that that Goliath has come out and said, this is my challenge. Anybody going to take me up on it, right? And, And the men, when they heard that, the soldiers and Saul, when they heard that, they ran and hid. We've read that already. But when David heard, there was something different. David was ticked off. Right? Who is this guy, this uncircumcised, that comes out and defies the Lord of, of hosts, right? The Lord of the army of God. Who's, what, what's going on here? He starts asking these questions. The men all saw him in a death, but David saw that his God was being dishonored. In verse 24, catch this. The, the men of Israel ran away, Right? Remember that, because in a few minutes when we start reading again, we're going to see what David does. This dishonoring of Israel and their God had been going on, like I said, 40 plus days, morning and evening. And and, and David is going to respond differently than everyone who was there. Saul and this massive army, the leadership, Saul, right? And, and And the leaders of the army, and then of course the men, they all responded the same way. The last couple of verses we read back in 26 and on, we see David's heart reflecting his high view of God, right? Who is this guy? Who is this Philistine? Who is this uncircumcised? Why is he coming out and taunting the armies of the living God, he says? He elevates God, right? He doesn't say, who's coming out and taunting Israel because we're pretty good stuff, right? We're the Tacoma Baptist Crusaders. We're going to go over there and we're going to beat Kittitas, right? He was looking, he wasn't looking at himself. He wasn't looking at the Israelites. He wasn't looking at Saul and Saul's leadership, but he was looking at God. Who's taunting the armies of the living God? Why should I be afraid of this man, right? This problem, this giant in my life, he's dishonoring the almighty, David knew that God was greater. He was taller. He was more powerful. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was more faithful. And he is the one to be feared and honored and trusted. Right? A healthy fear of God is good. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we are told. And when you fear God over anything else in this world, in a healthy way, you're going to grow in wisdom. You're going to understand who God is, and you're going to realize that it doesn't matter what you come up against, no matter how hard it is in this life, you have nothing to be afraid of, because God is with you. Not Goliath. David had a proper view of God. Can we become a people who have a proper view of God, a proper view of his power in our lives, the size of God, the goodness of God? Can our faith... Reflect that. Can we live in such a way that we reflect 
our view of God and his greatness in everything. Now, the giants in our lives, I don't want to discount them. They can be huge. They can be scary, right? We're using this story, and we're, we're going to try to take some application from it. The problems we can encounter uh, can be more than we can deal with on our own. I am not downplaying what you have gone through, what you're going through now, or what you may end up going through in the near future or distant future. It can be big. It can be scary. It can be the most difficult thing you ever go through. But if you're a Christian and you have a, a, a view of God and you understand who God is and that he is on your side, you need to know this. And you need to have a proper view of God. You need to understand this. You need to believe this. You need to hold on to this. Do you believe that God is not tiny? Do you believe that God is not distant? Do you believe that he's right here for you now? Walking with you, fighting the battles, going through every painful step with you. That's the question of David and Goliath. It's a great story. The kids are probably hearing it right now. It's, it's, it's kind of a fun story when you're a kid because usually you got to see some army stuff and swords and spears and stuff. But man alive, it comes down to this. David had a proper view of God. David understood who God was. David saw God as big and for him. Now, giants love to intimidate us. It doesn't matter what the giant is, what the problem is. You fill in the blank, right? You fill in that blank. Giants love to intimidate, and yet God loves to come in and mediate. He loves to come in between you and that problem and take care of it. That's what he says he will do. He takes us. He takes our problems, whatever it might be, and he goes with us. He's willing to walk with us. Through the hopelessness, the pain, the loneliness, the fear, and he can help. No matter what it is, everything pales in comparison to God, his love, and eternity with him. Now hear me. It could be something so tragic in your life here that you cannot imagine life after this situation. I acknowledge that. There are some big things you're going to have to go through. And yet, if you keep in, in, uh, in mind the proper view of God, his love, and ultimately eternity with him, even the toughest things pale in comparison to that. Will the solution here on earth be what you're hoping for? I can't say that for sure. But your faith in a big God secures your future. So no matter what happens in this situation, right, that promise is the promise. When you, when you hear of who Jesus is and the promise of eternity with him, right, and you accept that free gift of salvation, you're exchanging not only your sin and your rebellion and your filth for his righteousness, but you are exchanging your here and now and the problems that you're going to have for the promise of eternity, and that is huge. That is a beautiful thing. David's family, though, takes this inquiry and turns it. That's what we see here at the end. They say to him, the oldest brother says, what did you do? Come down here just to watch a battle? 
you know, like my little brother's here to, to see what us men are doing. He, 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 he doesn't get support from his brothers. He doesn't say, you're right, David. None of us feel like going up and battling this guy, but you're right. He should not be doing this. He should not be saying this. No, they, he, he, he comes out and says, what are you doing here? Are you just here to try to view, view the battle that's going to take place? Try to see what's, what's going on? David, though, he says focused on the problem at hand. He doesn't let his family, his brothers, three older brothers. I don't know how many of you have older brothers. I had an older brother, right? They can, uh, they can knock you off course once in a while. Okay? Right? And, and his brothers are not acting in a way that was honoring of God. That's for sure. But they were wondering why David was there. Let's continue on reading and, and see what the author says next. Picking up in verse 31. When the words of David, that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and I struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose again against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I'm sure he did say that. Then Saul though says, hey, let's try to put on some armor here. So Saul clothed David with his armor. He, he put on a helmet of bronze and, and on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch and he and his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in his appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give you your flesh, or I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, 
but the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. David speaks out in confidence about his ability to go against Goliath. Now Saul doubts him for his youth. You're young. You're inexperienced. You can't go through this. You can't battle this giant. This giant's been around for a long time and he's been doing what he's doing now since he was young. Isn't that what the world tells us? Oh, this came into your life, this struggle, this this pain. You can't go through that. This is going to destroy you. The giant is too big in your life. Well, here, the guy that should be in trying to instill some confidence into him says, you're too young, you're too little. But then David gives a resume. And I love that resume. It's kind of fun. He's out there guarding the sheep. And, and not only one lion, not only one bear, but in, in the text, the original text, it's plural. This kid is fighting off lions and bears. I don't know that sheep are worth that, are they? Right? I mean, this is lions and bears for this young man. He's going after them. And he's hitting them. And if they come back at him, he's grabbing them by the beard. I'm I'm picturing these bears up at Point Defiant Zoo, right? He's grabbing them by the beard and he's he's beating them with his own bare hands. I mean, this is crazy. And he does it to rescue a lamb. Why wouldn't you let the one lamb go? Then the bear's gone. We'll move the, the rest of the flock, right? But no, David says no. You don't take my lamb. I go after you. My dad, Jesse, he's entrusted me. I'm going to do this. And he acts the same here against Goliath. David was the ultimate shepherd. He protected his flock. Sounds like another shepherd that we know, right? The perfect shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on, though, I killed the lion, I killed the bear, I rescued the sheep. And this uncircumcised Philistine, right, he can't say that enough. He wants the armies of Israel and Saul to understand that that Goliath is not one of them. He's not one of God's chosen people. He doesn't respect God. He taunts the armies of the living God. Well, he will be no different than the lions and the bears. He tells Saul, God was with me. In protecting the sheep. And God will be with me when I go out against Goliath. David's perspective is one that filters all things through God's eyes. Right? Saul saw the giant. Because he was looking at things through man's eyes. David knows that his God is bigger than any problem he will encounter. He's seen that throughout his life. And Goliath is no different. Then in verses 38 to 40, it takes a weird turn. Saul's like, okay, fine. Go ahead. You can go battle this guy. 
Now remember, this is the youngest man of Jesse's sons, right? So you got probably men that are older, stronger, bigger, and, and he can't talk any of those guys into going and fighting, right, the Philistine. And he knew what the, the consequence would be. He's like, if you die, I know we'll be servants, right? So, I mean, he knows what the, but there's nobody else in Israel to go. So he says, if you're going to go, this is where it takes kind of a weird turn. He says, if you're going to go, I'm going to put my armor on you, right? I'm going to put some armor on you. So I, I envision David being this young man and Saul, remember, stood ahead above everybody. So he was a big guy. So not quite as extreme as Goliath, but he's putting on a helmet that's too big. He's putting on the shoulder, you know, I almost said shoulder pads. I'm thinking of football, right? He's putting on the shoulder pads that are too big. But he's putting on the, 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 the chest plate and all those things. It's just too big, right? And imagine one of your kids dressing up in your clothes, right? And they try to walk down the hall and they're dragging the pant legs behind you. They can barely move. Their arms don't fill out. Nothing. It just doesn't work. And David's like, I can't do this. This isn't how I protected the sheep, right? I got to do it my way. I got to do it my way. So he goes to the brook and he grabs five smooth stones, I think I've thought of this before, but not fleshed it out very well. But this week when I read it for the first time, I, I kind of paused at the five smooth stones. And I thought, why did he need five? He had confidence in God. He knew he was flinging the rock, right? I mean, he knew what was going to happen. These rocks coming out of the sling can get up to 120 miles an hour. Guys that know how to do this, they're good, Right? But I'm not saying that he wouldn't have missed or he couldn't have missed, but I'm just saying, if he was, had the confidence in God and he knew that God was going to come through, why the five rocks? Right? Maybe I've been watching too many detective or, or, uh, you know, courtroom dramas or whatever, right? Why five? Why not just the one, right? Giants in yours and my lives. Some of the things that we have to go through, some of the problems in our lives, some of the things that happen to us, we can't just take care of with one stone. We can't just fling the rock at it, say, I trust in God, he's bigger than you, and I'm moving forward. Sometimes we're going to need the second rock out of the pouch. Sometimes we're going to need the third rock, the fourth rock. The truth doesn't change because the problem stays in our lives. We've already talked about this before in other passages throughout scripture. We've hinted towards it already here. The desired results of your prayers might not come to pass here on earth. Right? You get sick, you still might die. Right? I mean, that's a tragic result. And it's huge. But when somebody gets sick and you start praying for them, you're wanting the healing right now. Where is your faith? How big is your faith? Do you believe in a tiny God? Do you believe in a big God? Do you believe that it has to end in your result that you're praying for right here and now to be God or to have God be good in your life? Or can you realize that you're not promised anything here on earth other than God is with you and it may not resolve itself until eternity? These are hard questions to struggle through and to think about and then to go through. This is where your faith is challenged. This is where we like to make things up that we want to hear in scripture that aren't there. We need to have a proper view of God and move forward in that. And that's what David did. So he's like, hey, 
I might not hit him with the first one. It might get, you know, deflect off of his, his helmet. It may hit him, but not kill him. I'm going to grab five stones because you know what? I still know that God is telling me, go and fight this giant. I'm supposed to head on, go head on into this battle with my problem. And it doesn't change God for David to prepare that it might take more than one rock. And so sometimes victory may not come for days, weeks, months, years, or potentially until eternity. And we see that here in a glimpse, just a small way, in David grabbing the five rocks. So David's ready to meet Goliath, and, and, and Goliath comes towards him, all decked out in his gear, and he, and he looks at David with disdain. Am I a dog that you come to me with your stick? Right? David's got his, his staff with him, right? And then Goliath curses David, right? This is one bad dude. This guy's big. This guy's loud, he's arrogant, he's cocky, right? He told David exactly what he would do. I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to feed you to the birds. The beasts of the fields are going to have uh, a dinner tonight on you. Now, sometimes our problems in our lives come at us with full force. Sometimes they come at us laughing in our faces, right? How do we respond? David doesn't waver. The giant's coming, he does not waver. This sets off the face-off of all face-offs. Goliath, the biggest, baddest man that lived, against David and his faith in God. David's faith causes him to say this to Goliath, and I love this. You come with armor, with the sword, the spear, but I come in the name of the Lord, the one you have defied. His confidence in who was fighting the battle Never flinched. And we see that when he recalls the lamb, or the lamb in the mouth of the lion or in the lamb, uh, mouth of the bear. He gives credit to God there too. So why would it be any different here? David's confidence was in the Lord of alone. The end of verse 47, he will give you into our hands. So Goliath says, let's go. And he heads towards David, right? David says, nope, he's going to give you into our hands. And, da- and Goliath, he's like, whatever, I'm going at this guy. So he starts moving forward. Remember I said we go back to that verse where Saul and the armies fled every morning. They draw up in the battle lines. And then as soon as Goliath would come out, he would, they would all run, right? Well, look what happens here. David runs to meet the problem. And as I was processing that, processing that this week, I was like, why could David do this? How, how could he do it, right? I mean, what, when, you're, when you're faced with this sort of a problem, right, this sort of a, a situation, this sort of a giant, but it was because he knew that God was bigger than any problem, any giant that would arise in his life. And he had seen God's faithfulness continually. So he runs towards the giant. And David killed the giant by the power of the Lord. His confidence and trust was in God, not his weaponry, right? He took, he didn't go out there with the sword. He didn't go out there with the spear. He went out there with the stones, what he knew, what he knew. And he trusted in God. And that's all it took. I'm going to reread 50 and 51 here. Uh, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling 
and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. And, and there was no st- sword in the hand of David. Then David ran over and stood over the Philistine, took out his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And, and when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in the tent. What we see today is, is a story of how David honored God. Right? We all know the story, David and Goliath. We all know about the rock and it flinging and it hitting the, the giant. And we can cheer and we should. And it's a great story. But what we see today, what we need to see today is David never stopped honoring God. No matter what the confidence or the consequence would be to his own life, to his own well-being. He was ready to go fight for God. He had an unwavering faith. As we learn lessons from leaders, we're going to be able to see a lot of lessons through David's life. And here's one that I think we all need to try to sit this, even in these moments now, throughout this week. Start thinking, how can I apply this to my life? How can my life be changed because of what I've seen in David's life and in his heart? How's your faith? How's your faith today? I'm not doubting your faith that you've placed in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'm sure that's there. But how deep does your faith go? Where is your trust? Who is your trust in? How is your confidence when you're faced with a giant in your life? When the the battles arrive, when when the problems are in your face, does your faith sink away? Or do you have resolve because of who's standing in the corner with you? I want to honor God by becoming the follower of him who who finds victory in my life because of my faith in him and my desire to honor him. So that no matter what comes at me, I respond the same way every time. I want God to help me be characterized by my faith and my obedience. And that's what we continue to see with David. David knew who God was, and he stood in that, and he went after that.